0: In 2016, Rogue One broke all our hearts and became the very first anthology film of the Disney Star Wars era. It was also part of the inspiration for Talkers to finally start their podcast. In this episode, we revisit the monumental film and try not to think too much about that ending.
1: Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin.
0: Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to our, technically, our second Rogue One episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god. You just reminded everyone that we have a Rogue One episode that's yeah, like really old. <laughs> it's
0: really old. It's really bad. Well no, we talked about this. So Charlotte and I um guested on uh this week's episode of Blast Points, which as you guys know, we love Blast Points. Um so they invited us on their show to do like a 20 questions kind of thing. Not kind of, it was 20 questions, um, <laughs> between us and them. So you guys should definitely go and check that out. But we talked about this episode specifically and how bad our rogue one episode was <laughs> yeah
1: it's it was, really bad
0: it's oh, it's cuz i think the question blast points asked us jason and gabe were if was if we ever listened back to our old episodes and not not usually and definitely not those early ones um because as some of you know charlotte and i weren't actually recording on our microphones we like didn't plug them in correctly for like 3 episodes it was really bad <laughs> so bad so bad um but i actually went back in like a weird kind of preparation for this episode and listened to our rogue one episode from early 2017 and you know what it's still really bad (laughs) (laughs) i thought you were gonna say you know it's pretty good but no No. you said it's still really bad no 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 all
1: right so no one go listen to it the reason why we're doing this episode so no one ever has to listen to it yeah, but also because we had really wanted to do an episode about Rogue One for a really mm-hmm. long time. Rogue One is something that I don't think we talk about enough. We both mm-hmm. really like the movie. It comes up sometimes in conversation, but honestly not enough. And it deserves its own episode. And it deserves like the due diligence of the research and the discussion-based uh, stuff that we do nowadays. Yeah. So we're really excited to be talking about Rogue One today.
0: Let me just so like that Rogue One episode, which again... Please don't go and listen to it. You'll regret it. You'll feel sad. Your ears will hurt. We didn't have our three-part format yet. Um, we didn't have our intro yet, so we were still using the like fake Star Wars music. And I did the intro. I said hello first. <laughs> oh, really? I know. I think I. I think I, I said like, "Hi, this is Caitlin. I'm your host. I'm your host. I'm the host of Sky Talkers, Caitlin." And then this is Charlotte. Like I introduce you, and then you go hi. <laughs> Oh my God. I want to die. I know. <laughs> this is really bad. I only listened to, I think, like, I skipped around for like 10 minutes and then I thought, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> ending My Misery. Yes. Get Rogue me out One. of here. <laughs> yeah. But Rogue One, I mean, like Charlotte said, we did do a, a recap of Rogue One early on in the podcast because Rogue One was a big part of the inspiration for Sky Talkers. As we've said before, we had been listening to podcasts for a while. Um, we went to Dragon Con, saw a lot of podcasters there, realized that it was something we could do. And then after Rogue One came out, um, a lot of the reviews we didn't like that were coming out about. Rogue One, and it was it really was the impetus for us to be like, okay, like this is the time, this is a movie we have really strong opinions about. Let's sit down, get a mic, maybe know how to use it, and let's like create a podcast. And that's what we did. So, Rogue One has a really special place in our Sky Talkers heart. Um, but it is it is long overdue for it to get like a better treatment in the podcast
1: <laughs> right and because we when we did our machete series and went through every film we didn't include rogue one in that mm-hmm. series at all either so that didn't even get that sort of attention so here we are sorry that i realized we we're just kind of monologuing about this for like <laughs> three minutes um but yeah rogue one it's a good movie
0: it is but before we get started, uh, just a couple of announcements, which we've already talked about. But just a reminder, um, if you're going to Star Wars Celebration in Chicago, it's coming up. What are we at now? Like seven weeks? Mm-hmm. Something crazy. 40 from the day that this
1: episode comes out will be 47 days until Celebration.
0: I love how Charlotte just has that off the top of her head. Do you know how many hours too? I wish, but no, (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Um, So we will be at Star Wars Celebration. Chicago will be there for the entire time. So if you see us, then – want to come say hi, please say hi and tell us your name um, or your Twitter handle. And uh, we are doing the podcast stage as well. We don't know that schedule yet, but as soon as we do, you'll be the first to know it. So if you're around for that, please come and listen. We would really love to see you there. And we heard from a lot of you, and we're definitely planning on doing a meetup, um, but nothing has been set in stone yet, mainly because we don't have our podcast stage schedule yet.
1: Yeah, I think that once we have that, then that will determine – when our meetup date is going to be. But because it sounds like most people are coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it probably will be one of those days. Mm-hmm. I can just say that.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: I also just want to apologize that like until celebration, I feel like we're going to be plugging our podcast stage <laughs> um, thing as much as we possibly can. So I'm sorry if that Is annoying,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but we hope you come. (laughs) Yeah, please come. We'll we'll have some stuff there for you guys, and we'll have some stuff too. If you can't come to the podcast stage and you see us like around town, um, i.e. the you know like the exhibit floor. What do they call it?
1: It's the the show. The show
0: floor. I mean, I'm like, is it an exhibit space? No, Caitlin. Yeah, we'll be around the show floor. So if you can come to the podcast stage, come and find us. Um, hope- we should have some stuff to give you, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, we will. Yes. We definitely will. Yeah. So for today's episode on Rogue One, we're actually not going to do it. I know what you're all expecting. You're expecting it to be part one, our like initial reaction, part two story, and part three characters. No, we're doing something different this time. We're going to talk about all those things, of course, but we've got different parts for you for this very different and very special movie. So part one, we're going to be talking all about the tone of Rogue One. In part two, we're going to be talking about the longevity and impact. And then in part three, we're going to be going over some of our favorite moments from the film. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first.
1: Okay, so welcome to part one, um, where we're going to be discussing the tone So before we start our discussion in Rogue One, I kind of wanted to have each of us kind of sum up what we think Rogue One represents or what it is to us in five words. And Caitlin kind of went a different direction with this than I had intended, but I think that's totally fine. So Caitlin, why don't you share what Rogue One is to you in five words?
0: I think it's funny how Charlotte always is like, this isn't what I intended, but I guess we'll just go with what you put down, Caitlin. It's good. It's good. I like, I like that we both took it two different directions. <laughs> so the question was, can you describe Rogue One in five words? And I described it as the resistance of the films, as in resistance the TV show. What do you mean by that? This is what I mean by that. <laughs> Because we talk a lot about how Resistance is very, um, like, tactile. There aren't Force users in it. It, like, butts up right with the Force Awakens timeline. And Rogue One is kind of the same way. That was the part of the whole shift of Rogue One is that it's, you know, of course we have Chirrut and Bayes, but they're not, like, our typical Force users and they're not our main, main characters, um, like Jin and Cassian are. Like, these are soldiers um, on a mission. And this mission isn't about force users it's about like having hope but then you know it's also butting up literally seconds before a new hope starts we've almost got that crossover timeline um i don't know i just think there are kind of very there are a lot of similarities between rogue one and resistance in that sense
1: Hmm, i think that's true I, i i i see that
0: yeah i guess it's not like the overall description of Rogue One but since we've been talking about resistance a lot it was just something that kind of popped in my head. I was like, oh, this is kind of similar. This is the resistance version of a film, I think. Yeah, it, it makes sense. It's funny because I think a lot of people would say Rebels
1: is the resistance of I mean, I guess you say of the films, but I I would say that I think that you're right on the money with that, though, because of the ticking time bomb of, like, how close the budding timelines are. And I think that's really interesting. I actually mm-hmm. hadn't really
0: thought about the, that comparison. Yeah. I think it's it's kind of that – just that comparison between, like, our main characters not being a Force users, solving a lot of their problems without the Force, which is mm-hmm. very different than what we see in a lot of the Saga films. And then also, to like, the timeline side of it I think is really interesting. Right. Um, okay, so this is how I described it, in five words. And I didn't go for a phrase, I went for f- literally
1: five words. So I say, Rogue One is daring, it's weighted, it's mind-blowing, it's confounding, and it's gorgeous. Daring because I think that what Rogue One does with its story, it's kind of unprecedented that, that's, you know, Disney and Star Wars and, like, this was the direction that Lucasfilm was going to go with this movie, and we'll talk about that. And I remember walking out of the theater and being like, this is insane. I can't believe that Lucasfilm went there, that they're brave enough to put this kind of movie out in the world, that this is their sequel, essentially, to The Force Awakens. I-, I know it's not a sequel. Don't come at me. But the fact that that was released after The Force Awakens, I felt like it was so bold. So I continue to think Rogue One is a really daring movie and a mm-hmm. and such an interesting piece in Star Wars um it's weighted because it's just so emotional. It's like <laughs> I'm like filled with dread every time I watch this movie just because I know what's coming. Mm-hmm. And I say that with love. I love feeling angst. So, you don't um, say <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's mind-blowing for similar reasons that I said is daring, but mind-blowing as a fan because I really felt like – this is the first time I was sitting in the theater. I remember feeling like this movie is made for people like Caitlin and I. And I know that's like it sounds so like real fans love this movie or like this movie is for real fans. And I don't mean that. But I do mean that like – this movie Rogue One plays pays like such reverence to the past films, and is is kind of rewarding for an audience who's kept up with so much of Star Wars in a way that I just wasn't expecting. The fact that we have characters like Saw and just like even mentions of certain things that happen around Canon, and just the even the ending itself, it it, it felt so. I was my mind was completely blown by Rogue One as a fan, and clearly it reinvigorated my love for Star Wars in a different way than I was expecting. But I say that it's confounding because I do find myself often thinking perhaps a little too deeply about Rogue One's place in Star Wars and why it's so almost, it feels like it's pretty much universally beloved among fans now. And I find that slightly confusing and how it's aged. I don't know what it means. I just, I, every time I watch Rogue One, I go get into like this weird spiral of my brain just like keeps asking questions about like, almost to the point of what I was just saying about how it was just so daring that they um, decided to make this movie and kind of go there. And I, I start thinking about that a lot. So, confounding. And it's gorgeous because it's one of the most beautiful Star Wars movies we have. The cinematography is amazing. And I love the locations that it was shot in.
0: Yes. So I agree with pretty much everything you said. Rogue One is freaking gorgeous. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just – it's a beautiful film to look at. I think the daring part of Rogue One is really interesting, especially when you put it in the conversation of what you mentioned, of it being like super beloved by fans. Because it is kind of – it's such like a deep cut right? (laughs) John Knoll was like, hey, this line from the crawl of that movie from 1977, let's make an entire film of it and make it the follow up to The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of, I mean, it's really crazy that Rogue One works when you really kind of parse it down (laughs) to those Mm -hmm. details. Um, I think it's interesting how you said it is kind of so beloved by fans now because as we kind of mentioned at the top of the show, people's Reviews that we didn't agree with about Rogue One is part of what prompted us to like finally, you know, get started on the podcast, which I think is really interesting when we're kind of looking at it now. What are we two and a half, three years out from when it? first came out and just kind of seeing how these things age and how just having a little bit of time between initial release and initial review and initial opinion can really change like an entire community and fandom's perception of a film. I think it's really kind of fascinating um, because there were a lot of like, as we would call them, bad takes about Rogue One <laughs> when yeah. it first came out. And I remember being really frustrated about that and, and thinking like, number one, this is a film for the fans. Like there were so many things that, like you said, it was like payoff for keeping up with all of these things to finally see it on the big screen in like a really fun Easter egg-y way. Um, and like some like the way that people talked about the characters, I didn't really appreciate. And I know both of us didn't. And um, But it's interesting because you don't see that conversation as much around Rogue One anymore. And it's because time – either like starts to heal all wounds, you look on things with a new perspective or you hopefully just move on to something you like more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think it's so weird because I remember having conversations with people after I saw Rogue One and people first off like the average moviegoer kind of being a little confused by it and it needing some explanation, which I think is fair. And that has always kind of tripped me up. And again, I feel like we'll get into that a little bit later um but i i remember people talking about how they still liked the force awakens more and -hmm. it was like there was only these two points of comparison in the disney star wars era there was rogue one and then there was the force awakens and the force awakens like accomplished everything it needed to accomplish it brought back a whole new audience it gained a whole new audience and it was filled with nostalgia and it introduced amazing characters and Everyone knows I love The Force Awakens, but I remember walking out of Rogue One and being like, The Force Awakens feels safe. Rogue One doesn't feel safe. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I always was like, I think right now I like Rogue One more than The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. Now with The Last Jedi, I have to say I I like The Force Awakens more than Rogue One. And it's just weird how that is. It's just like that was the point of comparison. And now we have literally four films under our belt from the Disney era, plus a completed television show, a whole new TV show, and like everything that's coming down the line. Mm -hmm. And it's just like literally time to sit with all these things. And it's bizarre to me how my feelings about that can kind of change. But I do remember feeling like Rogue One felt like such a gift for me, who was even like six months after The Force Awakens came out and like the shine kind of wore off a little bit where I was like, oof, that felt a little safe. Like it was safe.
0: Mm -hmm. I wonder
1: how they're going to push the saga forward. What's next? What's new? And then Rogue One walks in and reminds us that, yeah, they're continually pushing the saga forward. And again, I just, I need to say, it's not that I didn't feel that way with The Force Awakens, but Rogue One freshened things up in that timeline.
0: Yeah, 100%. Because Rogue One, it was like it could afford to be a little loose or a little bit more daring. Um, Yeah, I think I remember having that conversation of like, okay, which do you like better, Rogue One or The Force Awakens? And I think every Star Wars film that I see for the first time is my favorite (laughs) for a little (laughs) bit of time. Really except for Solo, honestly. Um, But then again, like Last Jedi had just come out like so recently prior to that so who knows if that was a piece of it but even now i i don't really like comparing like the saga films to films like rogue one or solo because you know like our sequel trilogy films they aren't finished yet and so i think that's hard to like really put a whole comparison on it and i the thing that i remember is that it was a big comparison between the characters and like the character arcs and um, like getting to know our characters in Rogue One. That was a big critique when Rogue One first came out of like, I just – like I don't know enough about the characters, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, this is the first film where you only have one film with these people. Like in Star Wars, we're so blessed and so expectant of having a bajillion iterations of these characters throughout different films and books and comics and shows and We've certainly gotten that with some more of our Rogue One characters, but it was like, no, this is it. And like it's not – like the, the movie doesn't have to give you all of this background detail in order for you – in order for the film to make a compelling case for you to care about the characters mm-hmm. at the end. Um It's like did you feel something when they made their sacrifice? If yes, then I think the film was successful in making you care about the characters, not because you knew – you know, exactly who Cassian's parents were and they died and how they died or whatever that tragedy was. It's because, like, you felt the weight of his, the choices that he made throughout the film and you felt something when he sacrificed himself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that too. It's, it's just so interesting because Star Wars has always been about dropping you in the middle of a story and yet we come out of it loving these characters and we often don't know their beginning, middle ends. And Rogue One was the... Like a great example. And it's just it's really funny because as you mentioned that those conversations really aren't happening anymore. And maybe they've just been had to death that people are like completely past it. But I feel like there's like a a true resurgence in talking about each individual Rogue One character. Mm -hmm. And it's not discussed. Like to me, what trips me up about Rogue One watching it now is I feel like it is so segmented into three separate parts. And it it feels choppy and the last act is like the most powerful thing for me it's like perhaps some of the most powerful star wars that is out there and it 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 just i'm always waiting to get to that point every time i watch it and it's like oh i gotta get through this gotta get through this gotta get through this
0: okay does it does it feel does it feel as episodic as solo does um i don't think it does When you say episodic, what do you mean? Well, I mean how we always talk about Solo. Like, Solo should have been a miniseries. I don't feel that Uh way about Rogue One, though.
1: No. No, because I feel like Rogue One was a complete story. Solo wasn't a complete story. And Mm -hmm. I I mean, I think that you can tell a complete story without literally killing off all your characters. I was going to say,
0: like, if Jin and Cassian had lived at the end of it, would you feel differently?
1: I might have felt differently if, like, Kira died at the end of Solo. Um, but I don't because it didn't happen and it felt like it feels like there's another story. It didn't feel like they wrapped up that movie at all um at all. I shouldn't say that. It, things were wrapped up. Um, but i I do feel like Rogue One has a complete story in it.
0: Completely. I think it, I think it does too. I get and like I, I know what you mean with like the three parts. like it is quite segmented. but I don't think I don't think I would describe Rogue One as choppy. Whereas I do think of Solo as choppy. And I don't, and I know I, ha- I have a lot of opinions about Solo. And I don't even mean choppy in a bad way because I think the choppiness kind of adds to Han Solo as a character. Like Han Solo as a character is kind of choppy himself. So <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of fits that his film would be as well. But Solo definitely feels like quite episodic whereas it should have been a miniseries. Whereas – Rogue One does not have that same feel to me, even though it does clearly have a beginning, middle, and end. Right.
1: So f- to you, does Rogue One feel like Star Wars then? Like, what is the Rogue One Star Wars feeling? We talk about the Star Wars feeling, and maybe we haven't really talked about it in that much, but what about Rogue One makes us think about Star Wars and
0: classifies it as Star Wars? I think that Rogue One Star Wars is everyone's kind of ideal version of the Star Wars feeling, I think it really kind of hits on a lot of the key things that George Lucas talked about, you know, dropping you in the middle of the story. Everything is used and abused, like very down to earth. It's gritty. It's um, it's real. And there's definitely that, that visceral feeling, I think, in Rogue One um, that I think would have been – in A New Hope, like, if A New Hope had been made, like, at the same time as Rogue One, like, now, I think they would have looked very similar um, mm-hmm. as far. But, like, all of those things are there. Like, I think when people think of Star Wars and they think of that Star Wars feeling, they're going to be thinking of, like, imagery from Rogue One and A New Hope. Like, I think those kind of encapsulate the Star Wars feeling really nicely. Not all of the Star Wars feeling, but a big piece of it, I think.
1: I think the important thing about Rogue One and the thing that I think everyone was struck by when they left the theaters is the fact that the movie is about hope and Star Wars has always at its core been about hope. Maybe the movies don't necessarily always show it or the TV shows don't always show it, but they chose to tell Rogue One it's a grittier movie than every other Star Wars. It, I remember when it was being pitched that John Knoll really wanted it to be a a war movie. They were going to use technology to make Make it war-ish. And that always kind of, like, made me nervous because I was like, am I even going to like this? Like, the thing that I really love about Star Wars is its campiness. And I think that their space battles are super cool, too. But um, I was always a little stressed out about that. And I think that they were able to balance that grittiness with the fact that the message is always hope. Um, and they yeah. really just kind of hammered that down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the point where the last line is literally hope.
0: <laughs> it's funny as we were talking about that. It's like you're right, this movie is so much more hardcore in terms of like actual warfare, but mm-hmm. it's also kind of the most heavy handed with this messaging of hope too, kind of throughout the entire film and then also literally at the very end of it where it's like hope. Oh, they've given they've given us hope.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of that was constructed in post-production and with reshoots, and mm-hmm. I hate to say that, but I do feel like maybe the piece that um, Gareth Edwards had originally given over was a little bit more war-heavy than the message of hope at the end. Um, I think that it was softened a little bit, and I think for better, like for much better. Yeah. Um to the point where we can look back and i i I talk about rebels sometimes as like a book that i can put on a shelf and like it's closed and it's done right i wish that was
0: on our sky talker's bingo
1: yeah it's not (laughs) fyi guys um but i think i think about rogue one almost as the same way where it's like this beautiful inspirational story of hope and sacrifice and people coming together that are from all these different places to Mm -hmm. accomplish one mission and then it's their their story has a really sad ending but it, it ends up inspiring the whole saga yeah and i can close it and put it on a shelf
0: <laughs> if, Re- if rebels is a book then uh rogue one is like a novella it is kind of a novella
1: it's and it's like a super powerful novella it like, is sometimes short stories are way more powerful than a novel i love and i feel stories. that way yeah me too i took like three separate classes on short stories in college and they were always my favorite and not just because of their length but truly because of they always pack a punch and i think rogue one is the same way
0: yeah i think that's the i think that's kind of like the best comparison honestly when we're talking about rogue one is that it isn't it is like a novella and it packs a punch in this little bit of time that it has because it has to because that's all it gets um Which is interesting because it kind of brings another parallel to the show Resistance because we're talking about like on Resistance, one of the things I love is this like condensed and compressed setting of the Colossus within Resistance. And Rogue One is kind of similar in that it has a condensed timeline and like a ticking timeline. And so everything is so heightened because they're on such a time crunch in Rogue One. And Resistance is kind of the same way, but it's condensed for a different reason because they're all in the same place. I know mm-hmm. kind of kind of it's like putting putting the these sets of characters under pressure cookers but different types of pressure cookers.
1: Yeah, another thing about Rogue One that always has struck me was the fact that it kind of deconstructed the like hero origin model that Star Wars the original trilogy at least presents. Um, It has all these people who don't know each other. I mean, later, obviously, Luke and Leia are twins, but they don't know each other, who are coming together to accomplish one thing. And to me, it almost takes like a minute for you to realize that that's the same dynamic that's happening in Rogue One Mm -hmm. until they're all together on Scarif, kind of accomplishing a similar mission to blowing up the Death Star. Instead, they're, you know relieving plans off of um the planet but i i feel like it really is a deconstruction of the hero and again we get Jin, who's almost the opposite of luke she is disillusioned when luke is like totally illusioned right and um she is down on her luck and luke is not really like that at all even though he has reasons to think that he's down on his luck um, she's pessimistic and Luke is completely optimistic and I feel like it's really cool that Rogue One gives us this like flip um especially as we you know the movie ends and you can just pop on a new hope right after that and it it continues the story
0: yeah I think the comparison between Jen and Luke is. A really interesting one because especially when we see them at the beginning of each of their respective films, like Luke when he turns on that lightsaber for the first time with Obi-Wan is in complete awe. When we see Jen for the first time, she is in complete hopelessness. <laughs> and I mean she stole a blaster. Yeah. Like it's it's completely opposite
1: of if you think about like the weapon moment yeah. too. Just you saying that just made me think about that. Luke is given given the lightsaber is like Completely overwhelmed with like emotion, I think when he um lights it and everything we even see that kind of um overdone in this galaxy of galaxies of adventures uh, cartoon that came out. Mm-hmm. But Jin, here she is. She stole it. She's like, I know how to use it, and it's
0: like, it's literally the complete opposite. Yeah. Well, it's like Luke is like bestowed this weapon, you know, almost like Excalibur. Like he is King Arthur. It is the yeah. one who's been foretold, and Jin, uh, like straight up, has to steal her blaster out of necessity. It's a really interesting comparison between the two of them, and their, you know, they're almost like they're meat cute with their weapons of choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay but in talking about tone i think one of the most important things you have to discuss with rogue one is its score which was a highly highly probably one of the most highly debated things after rogue one came out before and after it came out was how the score was going to hold up um and you know what god bless michael giacchino because (laughs) it's it's so hard to imagine how this was highly
1: debated Because it is that good. It is such a good score. And I think it completely – it does what Rogue One does. It takes everything from the past and it, like, respects it, but it pushes the boundary forward and makes us kind of
0: comfortable with that push, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. When you hear George Lucas talk about John Williams in A New Hope, he's always like, the music saved the film. And I really think that's true for Rogue, Rogue One. And I don't mean like Rogue One would have been bad or anything like that. But like A New Hope would have been bad without John Williams' score. You know what I mean? It, w- yeah. it wouldn't have packed the punch that it needed to. And I think the exact same is true for Rogue One. Like Giacchino's score completely served in everything. And, and, and I was definitely one of those people who when I first heard the Rogue One score, I didn't like it. I thought – I was like, it sounds too much like it's trying to be John Williams, but it knows that it can't be John Williams, so it's being something different. And I thought that that was, like, a good opinion to have. It wasn't past Caitlin. It was a dumb opinion to have. Like, that's part of the genius of this score is that it takes all of the – it takes, like, all of the hopefulness that we see in, like, the saga films and it takes it and, like, puts melancholy into it. And, like, feeds it throughout the whole film. It's so good. My favorite thing about the score is that you always
1: think it's going to go for that familiar theme. Yes. And it builds to that point, but it never does because we're not there yet. We haven't earned that yet. Yeah. And it, it blows my mind. Like, even the opening – I remember sitting next to you in the theater and us being like, No. That was weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I literally said and, no. Yeah. And it was – it's
0: funny because – I'm like, yes, no. Mm-hmm. I love oh, it. Oh, that, that dissonant note at the start of Rogue One. It's so good. It's so perfect because this isn't – it's a note we recognize, but it's not a story that we've seen yet. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is
1: that them using even the Death Star tone that wasn't really picked up again after Empire Strikes Back and they introduced the Imperial March. The Imperial theme in this movie is so good. It was – You know, when we were watching this movie for the first time, I do remember being like, this is good. That is so good. The fact that, like, now I can leave the theater and hum that tune, amazing. And the last, like, 30 minutes of this movie, Michael Giacchino, like, really gave it his all. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but he had, like, three weeks because the other guy was fired Mm -hmm. or he left the project or something. You never know, Yeah, you know? he only had like a short amount of time to reflect John Williams's work and create something new. I can't even handle that. It's like, it's mastery. And it's, it's, it's always Caitlin. And I often talk about like amongst ourselves, like what's better, the solo soundtrack or the rogue one soundtrack, because I think they're comparable in the same way that, you know, we compared at the force awakens and rogue one at the time, because these are the only non John Williams films um, scored films yet, you know? And it's it's hard to make that comparison because I do think they're both great, but I wouldn't have. I don't know. I think that this this really set the bar super high.
0: Oh, it totally did. I mean, I loved what you were saying. I hadn't really thought of it like that before. But with the um, how we always think we're gonna get the like the motifs, the musical motifs that we're familiar with from like the original trilogy, but we're not there yet because this film is a prologue in kind of every sense of the word. And so Mm -hmm. we can't finish that set of notes because we haven't finished that section of the story yet. And this is just the buildup. And the score really reflects that, but does it in such like a beautifully sad way. Um, And I'll be honest, like I love the solo soundtrack, but – I like the Rogue One better. Rogue One One better. Um, But that being said, I love the opening – like the opening score of Solo is probably some of my favorite Star Wars music ever. Anyway. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, the tone of the Rogue One score, I mean, I think is essential for what they were trying to get across with the film of Rogue One. Like if the score didn't sound the way it did, I don't think – like, I don't think it would have, the film would have been able to pack the kind of punch that it did.
1: <laughs> well, they could have gone the complete opposite direction with this. I could have been like, okay, we're not doing John Williams music. So we're not going to go the route of like a classical orchestra that John Williams would have gone with. We might do something a little bit more different. We might go a little bit more tech- techno ish. I don't know. I feel like techno isn't the right word, but they could have gone a little bit more electronic. Yeah, spacey yeah, they totally could have, but they didn't. And it works so much better because the story is a reflection of what happens in the saga films. These two things are companion pieces, and the score needs to reflect that, yeah, and I think that you nailed it in that the fact that you can listen to those, I think they are the last like four or five tracks on the soundtrack. It's like, your father will be proud. Mm. The hope suite. Imperial suite. <laughs> the hope gin gin urso and hope suite. Those are so powerful. I listen to it's weird. I listen to those mm-hmm. uh tracks on trains and planes often and like I find myself like tearing up. Yeah. They're just so beautiful. And it just reminds you, it like really puts you in that place of remembering the Rogue One crew's, like, sacrifice because the music is so bad. The
0: music, I mean, the music, ugh, I mean, just, like, when paired with the ending of Rogue One, I mean, it's, it's one of those, like, beautiful juxtapositions of just how beautiful the end of Rogue One is because it's so sad. But it's all, like, sunsets and, you know, the beach and, and things that we're conditioned to think of as beautiful and happy. But there's this awful thing that's happening there. And you can't help but cry... And be thankful too. It's so it's so well done. So well done. So good. I want to go listen to it right now. I know. I'm, I, I'm hearing it in my head. and I'm like, I just want to hum it, you know? I'll stop. Uh- <laughs> okay, well, are we ready to move on to part two? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> Okay, welcome to part two where we're talking about the longevity and impact of Rogue One, which we've discussed a little bit at the top of the show, but we'll talk a little bit more about in this section too. Um, Now, we've talked about how Rogue One is kind of like a novella that we can just like put up on the shelf and it's done, you know, next to our our book series, our our like chapter book series of Rogue One or of uh, Rebels. Why do all of these shows start with R. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Revenge of the Sith, Return of the Jedi, Resistance, Rebels, (laughs) Rogue One Uh Anyway um, Episode 9 is going to be called like R of the RR R of the RR (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be called like Reminder of the Resistance Oh, God. So bad. <laughs> 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 um, okay. But in regards to Rogue One, now that we've had, we've discussed how we've kind of had like two years to live with it now, how it's aged a little bit. Um, but what kind of impact has Rogue One had on the Star Wars universe, um, particularly in the sequel trilogy era?
1: Um, Its impact? I feel like this is a huge question. Um, I feel like if anything, Rogue One is almost like put on a pedestal in the Star Wars community as this almost near-perfect specimen that only gets better in ages like fine wine. I personally don't really feel that way about it, but I do think that it is almost proof, maybe for Lucasfilm, that this You know, Rogue One was an experiment. They were trying to figure out if they could do other stories in the mainstream that weren't Skywalker related, right? Of course, they led with Darth Vader being in this movie, if you remember anything about the marketing. But I do think that it was still experimental because our main character was not a Skywalker. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, I think it was successful.
0: So I know we talked a little bit about this when Solo first came out. Um, but we, and everyone was asking this question too, you know, which do you like better, Solo or Rogue One? And I think at the time you had said that you like Solo better. And is that still true? Because we haven't really talked about it since.
1: I don't know if it's still true. I am just, the the truth is I'm so obsessed with the sequel trilogy these days that it's hard for me to not look at Solo and Rogue One similarly. And it's hard for me to pick a favorite because of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely get that. I definitely know that I like Rogue One better than Solo, but I get that perspective a lot. And it's weird because, you know, it's, in like, as Star Wars fans, we love to compare all of these films. And, like, what's your ranking? You know what I mean? That's, like, everyone's favorite first c- question when they want to talk about Star Wars. Like, okay, what what's your favorite? What's your least favorite? Give me your ranking. And, and here we are throughout this whole episode, like, comparing it to Solo, comparing it to The Force Awakens, comparing it to, like, A New Hope and, like, these different characters and stuff. And I think that sometimes that can definitely be, like, a weakness in the Star Wars community because sometimes we can get so caught up on, like, oh, well, like, Attack of the Clones isn't your least favorite Star Wars film. Like, you're not a true Star Wars fan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But then at the same time, like, I think these kinds of comparisons are good, too, especially when we're talking about, like, the story and things like that. And, like, even how these films were made, I think it's interesting that both Rogue One and Solo had fairly rough productions um, and, like, a lot of reshoots. And I know that we tend to treat reshoot as, like, a bad word when in actuality it, it, it isn't always, you know what I mean?
1: I find it fascinating how Rogue One had a ton of production trouble, and it felt a little underreported to me. Um, I still think, like, essentially Gareth Edwards, like, didn't 100% direct Rogue One, and I guess you could say the same thing about Phil Lord and Chris Miller about (laughs) Solo, right? I mean, it's weird how both of these have production issues, yet I do feel like Rogue One recovered from that way better than Solo did, and maybe it was a timing thing. I don't know. Maybe it was just, like, what was shot. I'm not sure. But I do think that Rogue One and maybe Solo as well are success stories about how you, like, kind of figure out things in post um, and are able to accomplish so many n- new story parts from um, from reshoots, like you said. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I remember when all of the news came out, and I can't – I think it was about – I think it was – this discussion actually I'm sure that this kind of discussion was happening with both Rogue One and Solo in the midst of their production woes about being worried about the discourse that would come out after these films came out and being like, Oh, I wish we could see the original version or I wish we could see Phil Lord and Chris Miller's version of Solo. Um, but I'm kind of happy to say that I don't feel like that's been an overwhelming part of the conversation surrounding these films. Um, <laughs> I don't. I, think I laugh
1: because I'm like, I would kill to see the Rogue One deleted I w- scenes. I would, but it's the not fact because... that we
0: don't have those is like insane. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of like what happened with Solo. You know, like with Solo bonus features, there there's really not a whole lot of mention about the director switch up, and it's kind of like the same thing with Rogue One. You know, we don't see the deleted scenes, but the reason, but you don't want to see the deleted scenes because Rogue One disappointed you.
1: Yeah, I think that's totally true. I feel like I. I don't know. I just like deleted scenes. But I still think it's just funny that Rogue One didn't release. Like, I think their bonus material is so slim, especially even in comparison to Solo. I think they learned for Solo oh, about yeah. that, that it, that was just kind of weak
0: to not release that much. Man, like, Last Jedi delivered. Oh, <laughs> my God. It's <bonus> like, <laughs> as, as bonus feature snobs going through like the force awakens and rogue one bonus features. I was like, Oh, this is so disappointing. I just want so much more. (sighs) Bless Ryan Johnson. All
1: right. So let's talk about characters a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we've been talking big picture, which I think is totally fine. But um, so how did Cassian and saw and everything like fit into the larger theme of heroes on both sides, which is again, something we discuss all the time on the show.
0: I think Cassian and Saw were such important inclusions into this kind of heroes on both sides conversation because one, it's a conversation that was really started in, in in animation, particularly with Saw. Um, If you guys haven't watched the Clone Wars, Saw comes up in with the beginning of season five, right? Is it, yeah, it's the be- uh, I think so. Yeah, it's the beginning of season five on the in the Onderon arc, which is an incredible arc. Um, really, a, it's an Ahsoka heavy arc. Um, but Saw is basically a freedom fighter before the fall of the Republic, um, and he's trying to fight to save his planet. Um, it's a really good arc. Um, highly recommend if you haven't seen it. But to he becomes a he, you get to see the seeds that are being sown like in the andoran arc sagarrera is he's like he's rough but he's also idealistic um throughout a good portion of that arc and you get to kind of see the the pieces that fall in order to make him more of the extremist that we see in rogue 1 about like mamafa talking about him as an extremist but he's still, like, working for the good side. And I think that's so important because The Clone Wars showed us characters like Lux and Mina Bonteri who were separatists but who we grew to have an attachment with um, and how they could be good people even if they were on the bad side. Um, and then I liked how Cassian and Saab were kind of these examples of people doing bad choices while being on the good side.
1: Yeah. I thought the the whole Cassian introduction is crazy. Sometimes. And um, I thought, I remember when it happened and Caitlin was so built up into her head about what and who Cassian would be. It was bad. And I, it's, it's bad, but I think it's funny. Because it's, it's funny, but it was because bad. Because I think that you were supposed to feel that way and what the movie did was deconstruct that and tell you that this is the cost of war and this is the cost of the rebellion and you have to accept that right from the beginning yeah (laughs) and i think that even when you say the you know heroes on both sides that line from the revenge of the sith crawl i i think that yes saw comes to mind because he kind of represents the middle in this weird way and we've talked about this often when we talk about rebels and when he came came into rebels he was a pretty similar character to what he was in rogue one and also in that amazing Jinner so novel if you guys haven't read it rebel rising Mm -hmm. is so good it's definitely one of my favorites and it's kind of understated and that really goes into saw's mindset about how um he was kind of torn about what he thought was right to fight the empire and what are the right means and the right avenues to go down um, as a rebellion. And it, it brought up all these really interesting questions. Yeah, And I think that both of these characters represent how a hero can do bad things to
0: get to the eventual end that they need to be, I guess. Well, I think it, it kind of forces you to start asking these questions of, like, is Cassian a good person? Um, because we see him make really hard choices at the it's – not, it's not even a choice. He doesn't even hesitate at the beginning of Rogue One um, when he kills that informant. Um, it's not a choice at all for him. And I think, I think Rogue One is almost a little heavy-handed when it asks you this question when we get Chirrut a little later on um, when they're on Edo, Edo, Edo. Um, trying to rescue Galen Erso. And Chirrut says that Cassian has the face of a friend, even though Cassian is literally following Jin in order to kill her father on the platform deck, um, which is not a very friendly thing to do. But you get to see Cassian like really struggle with that and he's like really torn up. Like you can see him having this conflict of, you know, this was my order for the rebellion and the rebellion is good but the order is not. And how do mm-hmm. you kind of reconcile those things? And if, if Cassian had shot him, Galen, is Cassian a, still a bad person? Was he ever a bad person?
1: Yeah, I know. It's so interesting.
0: Yeah, and I think it's and and I think the same is kind of true for Jen like as someone who was just not like oh my god, she has an amazing line where she talks about how um you know, she's not even looking up at the imperial flag. She's she's just ignoring everything. And mm-hmm. does that make it's her, not a problem if you don't look up? Yeah, that line breaks my heart. I think it's one of the best lines in Star Wars. Um when Saw says, you you could stand to see the imperial flag fly over you. And Jin says, it's not a problem if you don't look up. And it's – oh, my God. It's just – it's amazing. Such a good line. Um, <laughs> but like Jin, she's choosing to ignore all of these things that are going on around her. She's just in it for herself at the start of the film. And so is that the kind of – mentality that we need to have about these things too. Like is Jin a good person for ignoring the Empire and ignoring the Rebellion and like not throwing her hat into the ring? Like doesn't that make her selfish to only be focusing about herself? Or is that just survivor's instinct? Is survivor's instinct a bad thing to have in the kind of war situation that Jin is in? I don't know. I mean she eventually comes around and she finds her hope, but it's not there at the beginning. Mm -hmm. She definitely –
1: I I find it's her character is so interesting because she's been faced with this question over and over and over again about whether or not to join. Um, how do I become a part of an organization? Do I care? And it's not until she receives the message from her father that she really does. Understand completely what her, you know, her purpose is and her mission and what she needs to do, and her empathy really comes out. And I feel like that—that that is her hero moment. But it her journey to get there, and obviously, we don't know about it completely in the beginning of Rogue One. But us being, you know, people who read all these different materials, we can look at Rogue One now and know of all the different types of obstacles that she's been through just by reading that one book. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I feel like she had the privilege to not look up but it isn't the it isn't privileged in all sense of the word it's just the fact that she you're so right she chose to be selfish at that point but maybe that isn't the worst thing Mm -hmm. her spininess is kind of what makes me love her as a hero yeah
0: well her selfishness was born out of a need for survival and out of being abandoned um Mm -hmm. So I think it's yeah I think it's really hard and like and Cassian I mean that whole scene between them um, right after Galen dies is such like a loaded scene it, it's it's so good you know when she's like I've got the message and he's like what do you like you don't actually have the message <laughs> I love that scene cause he's like what do you mean you didn't grab it <laughs> it's it's funny it's, not- it's a funny
1: scene when you watch it again and again you're like oh my god like. <laughs> And she's like I I don't have it.
0: <laughs> she's like I mean I saw it and Cassie's like you didn't grab it? <laughs> but well it's kind of crazy it's beautiful
1: because the thing about that scene is that From that moment, everyone trusts or has to trust this woman, this young woman Mm -hmm. about what she saw. And they're willing to lay down their life for this belief that she is right. Mm -hmm.
0: Like, that is so cool. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, it is really cool. The scene that was funny where Cassian's like, I'm not the one you got (laughs) to (laughs) convince. Side note, I can't believe you didn't grab it. (laughs) it was a hologram. He's like, yeah, a hologram comes from something. (laughs) Like. (laughs) <laughs> no data chips <gems. laughs> <No data gems. laughs> um but the scene after galen dies and they're flying away and you know jen points out that it was rebellion fighters that fired on the platform and cassina's like oh you know like suddenly the rebellion's real to you like i've been in this fight since i was 6 years old i never had a choice um like i've been fighting for this even when it's hard and you know, it kind of goes back to that question of, okay, is that good to just be blindly following something? Like, we know that the Rebellion is good um, because we've seen it through to the end. And we've seen someone as optimistic and hopeful as someone like Luke Skywalker come into the picture and, like, shake up the game. But before Luke Skywalker came along, there are people like Cassian. And, like, a lot of the people we see in the Rebellion throughout Rogue One are very, like, harrowed <laughs> almost. And um like, they're down on their luck and they're making serious calls for a serious cause, but they're losing a lot of people in the process, too. And, but then again, they're not like Saw either. So, I, there's just like this really wide spectrum that you see throughout Rogue One. And as we say about a lot of Star Wars, like, Especially now in this day and age, like it's built on what come come came before it, and so you can't have the kind of wouldn't the kind of characterization of these people in Rogue One wouldn't work as well if we didn't have you know something like a New Hope and Empire Strikes Back that came before it.
1: You're so right about how all these characters like come into it and kind of beaten. I mean, yeah. we see. Bodhi, who is completely, like, mind-mended, kind of, from the Borg Gullet. We see um, Chirrut and Baze completely have their home taken away and they're thrown in jail. All of these characters that come together come with some baggage and some serious manhandling, essentially.
0: Okay, so I haven't watched Rogue One in a while, actually, before prep for this episode. Um, And I was watching one of the -the behind-the-scenes featurettes where – Kathy pointed out this thing that I knew but just hadn't really considered about how Jen had a meaningful relationship with her parents. And I was like, you know, there aren't a ton of characters in Star Wars who have relationships, meaningful relationships with their parents that are still living, Um And I was like, this is actually a really interesting comparison between, like, Anakin and his relationship with Shmi, even though she does eventually die. And then also with Kylo, too, because Kylo has a relationship with his parents, too. But like Jin, they were both kind of abandoned by their parents. Um, And I don't mean that literally because, like, Galen and Lyra was killed and Galen was taken. But, you know, I don't think – like, Jin doesn't feel that way about it. She's like Jin is angry with Galen, just like she's angry with the Empire. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's kind of this interesting comparison between Jin and Kylo in respect to how they view their parents.
1: Well, I think that just so we're not in hot water about this, I feel like Kylo or Ben Solo has felt abandoned by his parental figures, and that includes Luke. Yeah. I don't think that he was abandoned. I think that Jin also feels abandoned about her parental figures. And it's not something she understands until she sees that message from Galen. I think that there's this feeling of removal from their parents that is almost filled with spite Mm -hmm. for both of these characters, which I think is really, really interesting. I think you I haven't actually thought about them in the same light before, but I think you're onto something. And I wonder what it will take for Ben Solo to see his parents in a different light, in the same way that Jin saw Galen in a different light. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, even like to take it a step further, like you mentioned, like Kylo having similar feelings about Luke, Jin has similar feelings about Saw. And they were like, they're, they both kind of have this, not exactly this. Yeah. Both were, both were essentially abandoned. And and, like both were removed from their parents. By force or by choice, like by force with Galen and Lyra, and by choice with Han and Leia. Um, but it, like both of what the parents did, like both sets of the parents were out of love. Like Galen and Lyra tried to hide Jen for her own good. Um, and Han and Leia wanted Luke to train Ben for his own good because. Each of them loved their kids so much. Um, But the kids didn't view it like that because, like, all of these subsequent, like, tragedies happened in the interim. And it all goes back to that moment of when they were separated from their parents. And it's not because either of their parents didn't love them. It's not even because Saw and Luke didn't love Jin and Kylo. It's just, like, these circumstances and these mistakes happened and Jin and Kylo were set on these trajectories. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was a really interesting comparison between these two characters, especially because after Solo and after A Last Shot, there was so much conversation about Kylo and Han and Leia and and how they weren't good parents or how they were good parents. And it's not – their fault that Kylo ended up like that. And they have no shoulder to blame. And And it's a really complex conversation. It's not as black and white as that. And I don't know. It just kind of reminded me that Jen has like a very similar setup in her life as Kylo did in his. And I just think it's interesting to compare the two because they both felt abandoned and were angry at their parents for those reasons, um, even though the parents did it from a place of love. There was still that anger there. Isn't it fascinating that Ray's sense of
1: abandonment, she has not accepted that sense of abandonment at all? In fact, she won't accept that her parents dumped her for actually the opposite of love, right? They sold her off for drinking money. She can't accept that. And yet, we have these characters who were abandoned essentially, just for lack of a better term out of love. And we have Rey who's not like that. Isn't it fascinating that Lucasfilm keeps kind of serving us these characters who are all kind of from similar origins but take things different ways? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because like they have it – like Jin and Kylo have anger towards it almost because they've accepted it. Whereas for Mm -hmm. Rey, it's like too awful to believe that that would happen. And so it's just become this like sadness, and also this like tether to Jakku that she finally had to break, and Jin had to break that anger as well, and realize that you know she like okay, what did she say at the start of Rogue One? Um, I like to think that Galen is dead. It's easier that day, easier that way, which. What does that remind us of? But Kylo's line of let the past die. (laughs) It's only when Mm -hmm. Jen like accepted that not only was her father alive, but her father did in fact love her. Which is something that Jen knew all along, but she just let herself be so hardened and angry at things that had happened to her as a child that she had no control over. That it just like built this shell around her. And I think that's something really comparable to Kylo as well. Um, And Kylo, we say this all the time, like Kylo can't let the past die. And he has to – they even talk about Kylo Ren as a shell around Ben Solo. I don't know. I just – like the – thinking about all of them, you're right. Like we do get very similar stories, but our characters react in in different ways based off of their surroundings, based off of where they grew up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, Mm -hmm. And then like someone like Rey didn't have like a Luke or Saw figure in her life to almost kind of take the place of a parental figure and then also abandon her. Right, I think that
1: maybe the only person is like Unkar Plut, who was her like essential caretaker. I think that's who he who is in that um, flashback. Yeah, but right? he
0: never cared for her.
1: No, but he was there to provide her with food as long as she worked for it. And I think if you could place him as somebody i guess you could place him as a guardian guess, but and he's a really bad oh, yes. guardian
0: there's no like emotional attachment there whereas Jin and kylo both have emotional attachment for better or for worse to saw and luke mm-hmm, for sure it
1: is it is i think it's fantastic and i definitely think this is something that comes up in story room discussions about these all these characters that essentially have abandonment issues and how you work through that and um, I think that almost in a way it's a little bit of a universal feeling of I don't feel understood. I don't feel like I belong. what is my sense of belonging?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I Jin puts up a shell Ben solo you know turns to the dark side and like harnesses the darker energy uh, Ray, you know, pushes all of that past aside. she also builds a shell in a different way. I think even you can even think about finn in a in a different way. I don't know it's all these all these characters it's like it's funny when you follow this line of thought. all the new characters <laughs> kind of co- come into into your yeah, head I do
0: well I mean, okay, so let's talk about like okay, is there what are our comparisons between Finn and Bodhi because they're both. Like, uh, they're both traitors.
1: Bodhi, <laughs> yes, they're both traitors. I think that that's definitely something. They're both labeled as traitors. They both leave their organization, their evil organization. They're both unlikely risk takers. I don't think that Finn thought he was going to leave the First Order that day, but it happened because he couldn't do it. He couldn't kill for them. He made a choice. In the same way that Bodhi made a choice, I think Bodhi's story is, it was the story that I came out of Rogue One being so struck by. I felt mm-hmm. not enough people recognized the magnitude of his sacrifice and the reason why he, he the only reason why he did what he did is because someone believed in him.
0: It's and
1: so Yeah. And, and then he is like completely like abused. It, it's just, it's awful. It like makes me kind of
0: like tear up. Like I'm literally tearing up talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, Bodhi definitely deserved more. I think that what I love about Bodhi's story in particular, and I think that – I think if any character needed a lot more screen time in Rogue One, if there was a fault in Rogue One, that I, I think there are a few faults. But if I go back and change one thing, it would be more time for Bodhi in the story. Because I think he had such an interesting place, and perhaps they didn't want to give him too much time because <laughs> there was this like very stark comparison with Finn. Um, but with Bodhi, what I loved is that he really was like the um, the apex of like dropping you in the middle of a story. Like we don't ever see his turn; we see him in the middle of his adventure. You know what I mean? Like we meet him as he's trying to find Saw. It's such an interesting character intro for a guy who is a deflector. That we don't actually see his deflection. He's in the middle of his deflection when we meet him. Defector, Caitlin. Defector. Well, he deflected from the (laughs) Empire. He defected. He also deflected. Yeah. All right. We can say that. Deflected. He's like. <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to make a serious point here. Okay. And it works. I just I can't gloss over that. Cheryl's like sniffling as she's crying, but also laughing slash making fun of me. So everything's I right just, with the I'm world, listeners. i being like, I deflected. I deflected. <laughs> when he says, I deflected. Yeah. <laughs> he- <laughs> He did both, okay? He did do both. He's like, I defected and then I deflected. <laughs> I defected and then shortly after I deflected. <laughs> um, all right, I forgot my serious point. No, you, you you made it. You made your point. I already made it. Okay, so my time is up. Your turn. <laughs> I don't know. I love Bodhi so much. <laughs> I, I feel like <sighs> –
1: I need more Bodhi. I need to. I need more of a story. I think it's great. You're so right that we were dropped right in the middle of his story, and I think that's so Star Wars. But personally, I feel like it's because in the reshoots, Riz Ahmed was unavailable to come <laughs> back in and do more. But I think even um, I. I just find Bodhi's death so abrupt, and I think that it is. It almost mirrors. You know, our introduction to Bodhi, which is also so abrupt, like his entire Mm -hmm. story is abrupt and impactful, almost just like his death. I'm sad. I know I'm sad, too. I had like an emotional moment. It's been a while since I like teared up on the on the show.
0: Yeah. Like, (laughs) Um, yeah, Bodhi's death is one of um, it's one of my like most least favorite moments in the in the film, which was it's on my list for later on in the episode. But I'll just talk about it here. Because, like, he also – like, Bodhi has such, like, these, like, limited moments in the film, but they're really impactful when he does. Like, there's a moment where he's on the ship and he realizes that he's shooting at the bad guys and he's with K2. And, like, that's who you shoot. And K2 tells him, like, you got to shoot the bad guys. And, and, like, Bodhi just has this look of, like, ah, yes, like, that's what I'm doing. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Um, And it's such, like, a – it's such a good look on his face. I don't really know how to describe it. And then here at the end, it's like so heart-wrenching because Bodhi is the only one who I feel like out of the crew wasn't at peace about his death because it was like he finally, like he finally knew what he was doing and he was finally confident in what he was doing because I don't think Bodhi was confident throughout a lot of the film. He was brave, but I don't think he was confident. And he, he's finally at that point at the end of the film where he like knows what he's doing. He knows what he's fighting for. We talk about this concept a lot with our characters of them like knowing what and why they're doing what they're doing. And Bodhi is finally at that point and you just see that look on his face like, oh, this is it. This can't be it. And it just like it breaks my heart like the way that Riz Ahmed played it was just remarkable. So good. So good. <sighs>
1: Okay, so let's talk about the big question about Rogue One. Rogue One's impact and its release. Is Rogue One inaccessible? Like, who is Rogue One for?
0: That's the weird thing about Rogue One is that it is such a deep cut, but it's also – like, we talked about this earlier. It is – like, it really emphasizes all of those things that kind of make up the Star Wars feeling. Um, so it's like, even if perhaps some of the content of it is inaccessible – the visuals of it and the feeling of it are completely accessible.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that I had some friends who saw Rogue One, and it kind of has always kind of tripped up on my ego a little bit, uh, that they felt like they didn't really connect with Rogue One in the same way that I did. And I guess that's to be expected, just because I feel like I'm on a totally different level on Star Wars than some of my other friends. But I... I was always a little disappointed that more people weren't completely struck by Rogue One. I think that in like popular like film, the film world, I think people still love Rogue One, but I think for the general audience sometimes it was like why did I go see this kind of super sad movie about <laughs> that's like Star Wars? And I don't know if people felt uplifted in the same way we felt uplifted because we knew it was happening next.
0: We didn't feel uplifted at the end. No, no.
1: We didn't. But I think that like a general feeling you're supposed to feel uplifted. Bittersweet. and. Yeah, and I I feel like yeah, Kayla <laughs> <Caitlin> and I <laughs> we've told this story before. We'll tell it again when we saw Rogue One. We were planning on having like a fun sleepover afterwards, and both of us were just like, "Let's just go home. Like yeah. we gotta go cry." <laughs> yeah,
0: we were. We okay. You know what's funny is actually the part I did listen to in our very first Rogue One episode. You said you said when we came out of Force Awakens, we were pumped. When we came out of row one, we were sad.
1: <laughs> That's the mood. I'm sorry. It That's is. how it and was.
0: Like, Charlotte and I, you guys know, we always go to Waffle House after every Star Wars premiere, and like that was in the plan. But both of us were just like, "I'll see you in the morning," <laughs> and we went home and, and went to bed. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, intense. it was something. It was something. It was something. But yeah, there is that like bittersweetness, and like we know what's coming next as well.
1: Yeah. And I think I had some friends who were like, well, that was a bummer. You know, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. I'm never gonna see those characters again. Like, I want the ray story. Like, bring me back to the ray story. And I think that's all I think that's all fair. I really do. And I remember even having a I went out to dinner my third time seeing Rogue One. I went with my parents and my parents like needed a debrief. And they've seen every single movie. And it was like a pretty big debrief mm-hmm. <laughs> of yep. like Okay, so where are we? Who is Saw? Why should I care about him? Why were you excited to see him?
0: Like, when? What, okay. How, is, is that Tarkin guy real? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, what was harder to explain to your parents? Was it after Rogue One or after Solo and explaining Darth Solo Ma? was definitely way harder I, to explain. I was going to say, I was with you for that explanation, and that was really hard. <laughs> yeah. Solo was way
1: harder, but this was the beginning of needing an explanation. Yeah. And when every other movie you didn't need an explanation.
0: What's funny is I had – I don't have like a lot of people in my life that are big Star Wars people or even like casual Star Wars people. And I had this one friend who was not into Star Wars at all. She'd seen like maybe like three-thirds, like three-fourths of a film at one point in her life. But she went and saw Rogue One. And I remember texting her afterwards like, how did it go? And her one response was, well – I'm a basic bitch, and I wanted those two people to kiss at the end, and they didn't. (laughs) I was like, okay, (laughs) like her only comment on her her, review. That was her review. I'm a basic bitch. I wanted them to kiss in the elevator, and they didn't, and then they died. (laughs) I was like, you know what? Fair. (laughs) Yeah, it is fair. That's a it it is fair. It's like,
1: maybe if they can, I don't know. It's so funny. It's it's, That that discussion itself is funny. So I do do feel like, one, I feel like we're a little bit past this question of, is Rogue One inaccessible? Because I think we've just moved far beyond this is even a question. I think Solo is a little bit more inaccessible than Rogue One. And I think that just the general audience needs to accept that we're always going to be introduced to Star Wars at different timelines and different time periods. Mm -hmm. It's just the way the franchise works and it's what it's, way, it's the way the franchise works since 1999 too but it's like it's just that's how it goes um but i do think that it's okay for some people to say that rogue one is inaccessible mm-hmm. for a lot of people
0: yeah but i think that's like kind of the beauty of rogue one is that like i said perhaps like the content and the placement of it is inaccessible but you you get that feeling yeah totally Okay, so Darth Vader in Rogue One, he was kind of a big deal. <laughs> Huge okay, deal. Okay, <laughs> okay, wait. Okay, do you think a bigger deal was Darth Vader or Tarkid?
1: Okay, we'll see. The thing is that Darth Vader at the end wasn't a surprise. Like Darth Vader was in the entire movie. Yeah. But I think Darth Maul is a much bigger deal for a lot of the reasons. But I feel like the scene at the end is so crazy first off i don't have the reaction like a lot of people do where they're like yeah this is so awesome i think it's awesome i think it's a good scene and it's crazy how it totally aligns with the end of a new hope but i sob throughout the entire thing i'm so alarmed by the violence of this movie it it's like it, it it makes me like shiver. I'm so scared by it, and I, I just I've never had that reaction in a Star Wars movie before. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's like if that's a good thing, if that's
0: a bad thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I kind of think Tarkin was a bigger surprise for me in. Rogue One. Oh, yeah, for sure. Honestly, for I mean, sure. over Vader because when well, we knew Vader was coming, um, but Tarkin was just like – I mean, do you remember when we saw him in the reflection of the window of the Stardust Road? and we were like, oh, my God, look at his reflection. That's crazy. And then he ended up being like a full-fledged character <laughs> and we were beside it's ourselves. So crazy. I think that was one of the things too that we loved about – we talked about this about like how Force Awakens kind of felt safe. Um, Whereas Rogue One felt like it was taking a lot of risks. And I remember talking about the CG, the CGI of Tarkin and of Leia and how those were really big risks and those were really big um, like feats as far as like the technology that was being used to create them. It was really new, really intense. Obviously, like that kind of technology isn't completely new, um, but it was really kind of refined in Rogue One and worked on in Rogue One Um, and how we were like, that's something George would be so proud of. (laughs) And our like director yeah. head cannons. we were like George would have really appreciated that. Like Gareth chose to do that. <laughs>
1: totally. Um,
0: but yeah, I think like the Tarkin reveal was was so amazing. Um, and but I mean, I think going going to Mustafar though too was like, whew. and them not
1: labeling Mustafar so badass. I
0: I still don't know how I feel about the planet labels. I don't really. Th- I, I like them. Really like. Them. I like them. Um, <laughs> I think because it's inconsistent with Mustafar, <laughs> like, I get that it was supposed to be a surprise, but, like, in hindsight, I'm like, well, now it's just uneven. It's inconsistent throughout the film, and I know that we're going to Mustafar. All right, well, is there anything else you want to say about the longevity and impact before we move into part three?
1: No, let's do it. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, so welcome to part three, where we're going to be talking about our favorite moments in Rogue One. And I just thought that we would each kind of fire off some of our favorite moments before we wrap it up. So, Caitlin, why don't you go first?
0: Yes. So, a lot of my favorite moments in Rogue One are based on my memories of seeing Rogue One for the first time, um, because it was just so fun seeing this movie for the first time. But as we discussed a little earlier, Cassian, <laughs> Cassian's intro at the beginning is, like, always a favorite because it's such a shock factor for me (laughs) and was for me in the film. Like, I don't think you guys understand how much before Rogue One I had already professed my dying love for Cassian Andor. And I do this in every set of Star Wars things is that, like, before a new thing comes out, I, like, I pick a favorite character and I just, like, I stay with that character. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Like, I did, like, before I ever heard Ahsoka, I was like, she's my favorite and she stayed my favorite. And the, first, yeah, the first time I saw Kylo Ren, I was like, he's my favorite. And that's where we've been now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For a long time. Like, as soon as we saw his
0: lightsaber, other people were making memes about that, that cross guard. Me, I was like, that's my guy. <laughs> Can't even see your face. <laughs> the same thing happened with Cassie and Andor. But me, I was like, Wow. That man, Cassian Andor, look at him brooding. He's got a heart of gold, 100% heart of gold. And I think I even said too, I was like, Cassian Andor is going to like turn Jin into her having a heart of gold too because he's got a heart of gold because he's Cassian Andor, comma, with a heart of gold. And that was like completely wrong. (laughs) And the very (laughs) first shot of Rogue One was like, hey, Caitlyn you're very wrong about Cassianian <laughs> And I'm pretty sure you like hit me when it happened. And you're like, well, that was wrong. That's, that's, that's wrong. Um, but I still, uh, see, even though I was so wrong about who I thought he was, he's still my favorite character.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, great. He was- and I'm so excited for the show. Oh my God. Um, okay. So my, one of my favorite moments is Galen's speech. It is so good it's a turning point in the movie for me and it's the turning point for uh jin's character too i think that everything that proceeds after is like a highlight basically of the movie like the movie really gets going at this point but i do think that galen's speech is just the best it the way the sound is edited there's um when he says my stardust and the camera goes away from him and just over Jeddah. and the way that the, the voice echoes over and you know that the, the death star is about to be like locked and loaded and go for it. And it is just so beautiful. That whole scene is why I like Rogue One and why I like watching Rogue One because it's beautiful acting from both parties and it is just, so beautiful like the the love between a parent and a child at that point um and how that love has existed for so long and all of that is given to jin in this moment.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, that scene in particular is so good because you're you're seeing it's that moment where where jin is forgiving her father and like not even forgiving, just like coming to terms with the tragedies that happened in their lives to lead them to that point and It's just, it's heartbreaking. Like watching her reaction to his speech, even though they're not in the same room together, like literally, um, it's just, it's so beautiful. And of course, like when you pair it with her comforting him as he dies, it's just like, "Mm," it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my other favorite moments is, of course, We'd be remiss not to mention the General Sandula and chopper call out again, just because it was such like a happy memory in the theater of being like, oh my god, did did they just say General Sandula? Did I just hear General That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> in my Star Wars film? <laughs> um, if you're thinking of like, if you're wondering where like, look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars, like Rogue One. Rips put that on a whole new level, <laughs> particularly with Saw <laughs> and with General Cindula. Um and like to seeing Chopper as well. Because like, do you remember when the Star Wars show did that whole like arc? <laughs> I remember figuring that out
1: after and before they even said it on the show. I remember coming back to after we saw um after we saw the movie and we were both kind of texting about it afterwards because we didn't have that sleepover. Yeah. <laughs> Um I remember being like, oh my God, Caitlin, that's why they had this whole like weird chopper arc about him going to England. It was oh my god.
0: Amazing. It was like the fact that the Star Wars show had a plot twist within their own show, like their own news reporting show. I mean, so good. They don't get they enough credit. They really don't. I mean, talk about like deft storytelling <laughs> and the whole like jealousy so with um with R2 D Two is such like a chopper story (laughs) i love chopper so much
1: um (laughs) wait was that even in rebels recon not the star wars show I
0: like it was even deeper than that actually i don't think it was actually the star wars show it was rebels recon (laughs)
1: like it was their b uh, show they had this like deep deep story and it's so amazing within a
0: deep cut (laughs) it's
1: <laughs> it is a deep cut within it. But deep cut. Um,
0: yeah, I just like I love that memory of seeing it. Almost, like, it, it's very similar to how I feel about um, when we heard that Beckett had killed Ayla secure, um secure Sang in Solo, and the whole theater was like, <gasps> and that, that a theater full of fans. Yeah, it just like it felt so good to like for all of us to recognize that moment. And I felt the same way about the General Sandula and the chopper moment in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. I loved it, too.
1: Um, another favorite of mine. This is so weird and specific, but maybe someone will appreciate this. I love the soundbite when Jin finally puts in the, tr- the the plans and she's broadcasting it up to the Hammerhead Corvette or whatever. And um, the soundbite is transmitting transmitting oh I love that and it's so <laughs> random because every time I use like my credit card or something and like the chip and pin I there and it says transmitting I, I'm always like "Ooh, I should watch Rogue One tonight
0: let's watch <laughs> Rogue One every time well remember <laughs> so you so did funny. you um you named your Wi-Fi Stardust for a while yeah yeah I did yeah
1: because <laughs> the plans that were transmitting I mean it makes sense the whole thing it's, it yeah was, it's a good name It's still called Stardust. I have two Wi Fis. I have Stardust and then I have Kylo Renternet. I came up with Kylo Renternet.
0: I was pretty proud of that one. It's a good one.
1: My parents are visiting this weekend and they were like, oh, you have Kylo Renternet now? All right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yes. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, I already, I kind of, I feel like I already talked about my other favorite moments. Um, I feel like my favorite moments in Rogue One are like, very weird and specific. Um, but Bodhi and, like, the look right before he dies is a favorite. And then also, like, that moment with Jin and Saw where um, she says, you know, it's not a problem for the Empire's flag to reign if you don't look up. I mean, that moment in particular, like like I said, it just, like, it breaks my heart in such, like, a good way. Like, I feel things <laughs> when I hear that line.
1: <laughs> Emotions. I do. <laughs> it's a great one. hmm Um, Okay, so I love Jin Erso's speech to the rebellion um, when no one believes her. I love
0: the guy in the back who's like, what is she proposing? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, where are you, voiceless man or, like, bodiless man? It's just –
1: it's so perfect. Everyone around her doesn't believe in her, but then you realize that people do. Like, there are – there's, like, a Mm -hmm. a group, a coalition of people that do later, but – regardless of the fact that she's not winning that argument, she's still like
0: fiery spit of hope, you know. Well it's so good. It's great how there becomes like this rebellion from the rebellion. Which, <laughs> yeah. It's just like it's so cool. Um I don't know. It's really cool. Um and I guess like my last favorite for rogue one is just like the entirety of the end of rogue one. It just <laughs> it looks so good. But in particular, and I think this is a lot of people's favorite for good reason is when you see the Death Star just appear out of hyperspace. And it's a shadow and it's so transparent. The coloring is like very pastel and the the chord and the music is just like so sweet but also sad. It's, it's just like it's a perfect movie moment and you know what's coming and there's nothing they can do. So you're just – you're long for the ride until the end.
1: Don't you remember when we were in the movie theater and we were like, "They did it, they did it," and then the Death Star comes into view. It really catches you by surprise, it really does. and it's it is so well timed that you that you like breathe a sigh of relief, and then that happens, and you know, and you like kind of have to accept it yeah. because that's what our characters have to do too, uh-huh. and. It is, it's just so good, the, the timing of it all.
0: Yeah, it's great. I'm glad you bring that up because, like, when you have the comparison with the Master Switch, um, which is so – Charlotte's laughing because we played the ma- the Master Switch months. <laughs> Let me set this up. Charlotte and I were driving to Star Wars Celebration in April 2017, so very shortly after Rogue One came out, and we have on our Star Wars soundtracks, and it's a shuffle, okay? Everything is a shuffle. And we're trying – we're, like – running a little bit behind in order to get into the overnight line for the fortieth panel, which as you all know was met with a lot of emotions as well. But this is before any of that emotion. And we're trying to get the hotel and we're stuck in traffic and we're worried the doors are gonna close at the overnight line. And what track should come on but the master switch <laughs> and like idiots. <laughs> it's like <laughs> It's like <laughs>
1: Deus Airy, like over and over.
0: <laughs> As we're at the red light, like looking at the clock, like waiting to get to our hotel. And like idiots, we didn't change the track. We were just like, This is it <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, that's the mood of that scene in Rogue
0: One. Like it, it perfectly fit it, and that's the same as us. It was like it was fate. It was fate. Uh, but like with that track, there's such like build up, and it's like it's tense, and it's like are they gonna do it? Like will they? Won't they? What's gonna happen? Dun, 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 dun. But with the Death Star, it's like all there is is acceptance, because there is no other option. There isn't that tension mm-hmm. because there is no tension because there isn't a way out. Right. It's beautiful.
1: It really is. It's so, so beautiful.
0: Um, okay. So my last
1: favorite is how, and I just think this is an excellent design choice. I think so much of Rogue One is beautiful. And I think so much thought and design and um, beautiful art, like, went into designing Rogue One. Um and part of that was i th- i think it was a brilliant decision to put scarif the final planet as a tropical planet when everything that comes out of it is dark is despair is sinister everyone dies yet you have this planet that's sunny and bright and it's this weird contrast and it could have totally not worked like i i think about that a lot about how like i can't believe they had all this tragedy happening on a beach. It just doesn't fit. Like we usually have tragedy in the rain, you know, Mm -hmm. all these things, but they chose to do it this way because the movie ends with this sunset. Right. And I think that that is so perfect. And there's so like, I just feel like it was such a brilliant design choice to have like essentially the opposite of what happens as the setting and it it it's just great, so good. Yeah. Scarif
0: is one of my favorite settings. Oh yeah, Scarif is beautiful. It's like because at that point, there's nothing left to do but admire the beauty of it. Um, yeah, and like bask in that beauty, even though it is tragedy too. It's it's really good. I mean, all of the like all of the visuals of Rogue One are amazing, but especially Scarif. Um,
1: I think it's amazing that Jin in Cassian's story ends in a sunset on a beach when our character, like Luke, essentially begins with a sunrise or a sunset. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that our characters often, you know, Luke literally ends his life also with a twin sunset. Mm -hmm. And I feel like all of these mirror each other so well because they're both... The even the the call to action for Luke in A New Hope and his death in The Last Jedi, they all are reflected in these moments of hope, and that's the same case for Jin and Cassian in this moment.
0: I'm sad. <laughs>
1: these emotions,
0: <laughs> very sad. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Like that comparison again, like between Luke and Jin, because um, they both they both Like Luke has his jadedness, but it comes a little later in his life, but it's similar to Jin's. Um, But they both kind of end in these similar places of acceptance and like, yeah, like hopefulness, even at the end. Mm -hmm. There's always hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, if you're not crying, have you been listening? (laughs) Um, Go watch Rogue One, (laughs) then you'll cry. Um, I think that's going to wrap up this episode all about Rogue One. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. It certainly has been long overdue. Um, Tell us what makes you cry about Rogue One most. (laughs) <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at SkyTalkerspod or on our personal handles at Caitlin CaitlinPlusher or at Clarity. We're also on skytalkers.com or if you want to follow us on Instagram, our handle there is Talkers Podcast. So a little We're different. We're on Facebook too. We are on Facebook too. We always forget to plug our Facebook. We're on Facebook, Sky Talkers. On Facebook. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's us. That's us. <laughs> and we have an email too. Um podcast at gmail.com. So if you want to send us an email, you can. We promise to get back to them. Not always in a timely manner, but we will return your email. So you can send us your thoughts there too if you'd like. Um, But if you did like what you hear um, and you want another way to contact us, you can also go to iTunes and leave us a review. Um, It seriously – it's like a Christmas present every time we get a review and it makes – like it seriously makes our day. (laughs) <laughs> I no, kid you really not. <laughs> it really does. Um so if you want to leave a written review, we would love to read it. It makes us really happy. So you can head on over there and it helps other people find our show too. Yeah, it helps us rise in the rankings
1: when people search Star Wars. And cuz we don't sometimes don't come up when people search Star Wars. Um and I want to thank our amazing patrons because we have a Patreon which we also rarely talk about um and there we have a bunch of different levels and we have bonus shows throughout the month so here are our patrons Jason, Amy, Joanna, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Tracy, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Brian, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Dominic, Megan, Kate, Ewan, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Catherine, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady, Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed, Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpa, Ruru, Patrick, James, Hamza, From a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy Delaney, Angela Alley, Natalia Daz, Serene Shireen, Jordan Molly, Aaron Scott, Irina Ira Bell, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Adam, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Your support means the world.
0: Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you.
1: May the force be with you.